And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this eternal life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. These are words written by John in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. They'll serve as our text for today. Even though I've already said those words, I wonder if you would find those because we're going to look at those and some verses around there just a little bit closer today. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Okay, so... Probably just about every week somebody asks me, what's the deal with the hair, Brother Jeff? Why is it so long? And uh, I, I try to tell them and said, well, early on I told people that if they couldn't come to the church, I can't, come, I can't go to the barber shop. Now, I've had many people who have offered to bring clippers here to the church, you understand. And, uh, and so I said, well, I'm not going to get my hair cut until this thing is over. I did not know it was going to be a year. But I have to, somebody did tell me that I look a little bit more like Billy Graham. However, there are others that told me that I look more like Donald Trump, Willie Nelson, and who's the guy that does the achy, breaky heart, maybe some of those. So uh, somebody did tell me that they thought I looked a little bit more like Moses, and I'm not sure that they meant it as a compliment as well either. But uh, so it's just kind of become one of those things, but it's kind of evolved maybe the reason why anyway. Uh, over these several months because it is a reminder of how long it's been since we've had, because I've not had a haircut since the, maybe the last week in February of 2020. And, uh, and so it is a reminder also for me and hopefully a reminder to you, particularly maybe those who may be watching today, that if you're unable to be here because of age or vulnerability or uncomfortable, that I am praying for you. And even for those who perhaps have not been watching or maybe who have not come and who have fallen out that I'm praying for you as well. So I encourage you when you see this, maybe to encourage you now when people ask, it says, well, I say I'm praying for those who cannot come, please pray with me. So I encourage you to please pray for also for those who cannot be here at the end of this pandemic and not the least of which because I'd like to get my hair back. How many of you would like to get your life back? Well, maybe even greater than that, we find in these verses from 1 John chapter 5, we find the idea there that the Lord wants to give us real life, help us to be able to walk with Him and to be able to know that we have eternal life as well. And these do not depend, these things do not depend on the events that are happening in the world around us or the circumstances of the world in which you live. You remember that board game, The, the Game of Life? where you had the little cars in there and then you spun the big wheel and you put the pink or the blue peg depending upon your gender. Boy, that wouldn't be politically correct today. And then you go through and you go, you know, you get a payday and you get money and then you go around and you have to spend for this and for that and you get children. It seemed like to me that you had to pay for your children in the beginning, but in the end they kind of, the money came back. In real life, I'm still waiting for that later time, you understand. But you go and you spend money and you get money back. In the, but do you remember the purpose of the game was what? Not to finish first, but the purpose of the game was to have the most money when the game's over. You probably see where we're going with this. But at least it's not Monopoly because in Monopoly you don't win unless you have annihilated everybody else and everybody else has gone bankrupt as well. The problem is that many people are playing this game called life rather than experiencing real living. For many, 
They, this is all they know. Life is a game. The one who finishes with the most wins. Now you see many people, even many church people, have not been able to experience what real life is as God intended. And we have the reason why, as stated as clearly and as simply as possible in verse 12 that I read just a moment ago. If you have Jesus, you have real life. If you do not have Jesus, you do not have life. How many of you believe that? I mean, you can raise your hand, shake your head. You believe that real living is found in Jesus. Then, praise God, you have a, something to be thankful for. Now, we just celebrated the Christmas season, the coming of the Christ child who brings life to all who believe and receive Him. Resurrection Sundays, not for first week, I think, in April this year. It's, not, it's just around the corner. Jesus gave Himself for our sins. He rose again. He conquered death so that we might know and experience life and eternal life with Him. I believe these verses, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, are the climax or perhaps the pinnacle of John's first letter. And they help us to be able to understand some basic truths uh, for essential living in the Christian life. So we have in, in these scriptures at least three great affirmations about life or life truths that we can count on. The first one is this. This life is a gift from God. It is a free gift and there's nothing we could do to deserve it or earn it. This is not a prize that we could have won. You remember Romans chapter 6 in verse 23 to where it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift, notice that word, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus is our Lord. How could we ever deserve life with Jesus on this earth or in heaven? I can recall, speaking of Christmas time, I can recall maybe particularly as a kid that hoping that Santa did not give me what I deserved on Christmas morning because I wasn't sure I always deserved that much, but he always, it was always on Christmas I got more than I deserved. And guess what? It still happens today. By very definition, a gift, a truly gracious gift is unmerited favor. And for so many people, this is a stumbling block. It's hard to believe that this salvation and eternal life is a free gift. And I'm not always sure why, but maybe some people have difficulty accepting salvation as a free gift because you're taught that nothing in this world is truly free. No such thing as a free ride. So we're skeptical. And we have a right to be skeptical because it's not free. It's only free to us. The Bible says you were bought with the price. While you and I were still enemies of the cross, Jesus took our place and our punishment and died for you and me. The ultimate price was paid so that we might receive the ultimate priceless gift. But also you might have a hard time accepting this as really a free gift because you, you might have an insecurity problem. We're, we're not secure enough always to accept God's free gift. Do you ever have a hard time accepting a compliment? I mean, I do sometimes, just a hard time just accepting the compliment. We, somebody gives us a compliment, we almost make excuse for what they were complimenting for. Somebody says, you really sang well in church today. By the way, that's a compliment nobody has ever given me. You really sang well today. And, well, you might say something like, well, no, I, I was so nervous, I blew it. It didn't come out just right. They say, well, hey, I said you did a, you did a good job. The most gracious thing you can do when someone gives you a compliment or does something for you or gives you a gift is to say what? Thank you. I was taught a long time ago to receive graciously. How about you? Not that I always have, but since we're taught to receive graciously, 
then let us accept God's gift graciously. The Lord's the great confidence builder. Confidence not in yourself, but who you are in Christ. He wants to build confidence in His purpose for your life. To experience this free gift graciously, what do we do? We say, thank you. And we are to enter into His presence with thanksgiving. Then we, we turn it around and we praise His name. We praise Him for word, in word and in deed. The question then remains, have you accepted this gift of life? You may not deserve it. In fact, I'm pretty sure none of us do. But you must come repenting of sin and asking Jesus to come in and give you this life. A second life truth that you can always count on, life with God is found in Jesus alone. Life with God is found in Jesus alone. By a human standard, a person may be a good woman or a good man or maybe a good student, a good athlete, good citizen. But by the standard of the gospel, if a person does not know Jesus, he does not know God. He does not, he is not able to enter heaven. He's not a member of God's family. Now, John, writer of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in the gospel of John, but in the Revelation, but John does a lot of reasoning, particularly in this, in this first letter. He said, now, if you know Jesus, there's no reason for you to keep on sinning. If you say you love God, then there's, then you cannot say that you love God but hate your brother. He's using a lot of what we would call spiritual reasoning. You cannot love Jesus, hate your brother and sister. You cannot, or not to keep on sinning. It's inconsistent with characteristics of those who are followers of the Lord. And he wants... And he wants us to be able to know we cannot know God unless we know Jesus who is God in the flesh. And the purpose of this passage, purpose of the book, is not to cause doubt for believers, but to give assurance. Jesus is the life. He is our access to God because he is God who has come in the flesh. Now, if there's somebody that you want to know or meet, but not necessarily in your circle of friends or acquaintances, then what... Are you going to do? You're going to maybe find somebody who knows them that may introduce you. Or it may just happen that way whether you're wanting for that to happen or not. And so that is what has happened so that you might be able to know God. Jesus has come so that you might be introduced. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 says this, God's on one side and all the people on the other side and Christ Jesus himself man is between them to bring them together. God, who is, or Jesus, who is 100% divine and 100% man, is the only one who could come so that we might be able to know God. Christ's work on this earth was perfect and it was complete. No other price had to be paid to have this life and to know God. Nothing else had to be done. There's no other way but through Jesus alone. So these verses teach us that we are called on to believe in the name of the Son of God, not necessarily understand all that there is to know about God. We will one day when we get to heaven. We're learning more and more about Him. But we're called to believe in the name of the Son of God, not necessarily to know all that there is to know about God while we're here on this earth. John, the writer of this letter, he wants his readers, he wants you and me to be able to Consider the ones who give testimony about Jesus in 1 John chapter 5. We read verses 11 through 13 just a moment ago, but I want you to look above there. Look at verse 6, if you would. 1 John 5, 6 and following. And notice what it says. And 
John gives us several testimonies. Some translations say witnesses about who Jesus is. Verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now, what does he think he means by water and blood? Well, the obvious by water is that he came through baptism as he began his ministry. Jesus did not need to be baptized to symbolize his repentance of sin, but it symbolized his death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that while he was there, the voice came down from heaven. Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. The voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Well, what would be the obvious about the blood? It is, as we observe the Lord's Supper today, we understand it is because of the blood of Christ, what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's also a testimony of who Jesus is. It says, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So we see also another testimony, and that testimony is the Holy Spirit who lives inside each one of you, often called the one who is the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are the same, and they testify about the truth. Verse 7 says, For these are three that testify. The first three that testify, there's going to be others. These are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree. If, you, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He's... Uh, has born concerning His Son. So we've got so far what? We've got the water and the blood and we've got the Spirit. And then he says also it is the testimony of who? Of God, of God the Father. God the Father who said at the baptism and also at the transfiguration of Jesus, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then we find also verse 10 says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever believes in the Son of God, who is that? Well, hopefully that's you. I asked you a moment ago, did you really believe these things? You carry, you are testimony about who Jesus is. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. So the eternal life that he's promised us also is a testimony about who Jesus is. Now, notice six of these, and we'll list these for you. The six witnesses for Jesus in 1 John is the baptism. It's the crucifixion. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Heavenly Father. It's your testimony. And it is the promise of eternal life. Six things that John says that should assure you about who Christ is. Now, remember who John is writing to. He's writing in 1 John, he's writing primarily to the church. He's writing to Christians. Christians still need reminders and encouragement. Do you need some encouragement today? Well, you are here today. You and I are here today for the Lord knew we would be here. So obviously somebody here, maybe all of us, need the encouraging words and the reminders of how we can know for sure who Jesus is and what he has done for us. You may not understand all the things there are to know about this life or about God, but we're called to believe and put your faith in Jesus and in the promises of God's Word. We say and think sometimes, oh, I wish that I could put aside all of my doubts, always put my faith and trust in Christ for my eternal salvation and for everything that I'm facing today and for everything else. But why not? Well, you you put your trust in other things and in other people. 
How many of you go to the doctor and you put your trust in the doctor to tell you and do the right things? You put your trust in the pharmacist to be able to fill the prescriptions. Some of you still go out to eat or you've gone out to eat at some point in your life and you've gone and you trusted and you never even looked at the kitchen. Some of you didn't even look at the report, the, the number uh, that the health department puts up, and you ate that food anyway. You drive down the road and you put your trust in somebody you've never met before, never made a promise to you to stay in their lane as you do. Well, so why not put your trust in God, who has given us many testimonies and lots of promises, so why not trust God to do what He says that He will do? One more truth that we can always count on, and it's this. Eternal life is guaranteed for every believer. Now, when John, the disciple of Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John, he told us why he wrote the Gospel of John. It's found in John chapter 20 and verse 31. And he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. So when John wrote his Gospel... He was writing not just to the church. He was writing to people that perhaps would read that gospel and come to know that Jesus is the Christ. But when he wrote 1 John, several reasons, but one of those, and maybe the final reason, is found in 1 John 5.13. We read just a moment ago, or I said a moment ago. 1 John 5.13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants believers to know that they have eternal life. The eternal does not just deal in the quantity, but the quality of leaving. Now the word for eternal is aeonios in the original language, far more than simply lasting forever. After all, some kind of living to continue on could be a curse. But since truly only God is eternal, it means a life that is shared with God Himself Life in Jesus. And it's not a life that's intended to begin the moment that you leave this earth. It is a life that is intended that we are able to begin to experience the moment that we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Though when we get to the other side, we know we'll experience it fully, but you can be given a share of that kind of eternal life with God right now where you can experience hope, Peace, love, and joy because you know the one who is eternal. And as you experience him, then things happen in your life so that you become, or the results are that you become gracious and compassionate and generous and more like Christ. Now we've talked about what eternal means, but let's talk about the word to know. Notice that you may know that you have eternal life. It means to know absolutely positive, confident assurance to have no doubts. Now the assurance about knowing we have eternal life is not egotistical, it's not arrogant, but it's an attribute of faith. Why would John write this if assurance was not possible for every believer? And why would he write it if in that first century church and in the 21st century church that we still need to know that we can have absolute faith? There's no reason to grope around in darkness concerning our relationship with God. It should be the one thing in life that you're sure of. Now remember that this confidence is not for everyone. Look at me in verse 13 again. What does it say? It should be, who, who can know for sure that they have eternal life? Those who go to church. 
those who give a tithe, those who are baptized. How about those of you who always try to do good and always try to do the right thing? No, those who can know for sure, those who put their faith, their lives, and their eternity into the hands of the Savior, those who believe in Jesus. Now that word to know, it also means to know by experience. Now we can point, as we've already talked about, to many outward sources of why we should know that we can have eternal life in Jesus. We can point to the baptism. And we know that when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We can point to the empty tomb and know that Jesus has risen again. We can point to many testimonies about who, how Jesus has risen again, how he gave his life for us. But there's also a subjective internal testimony that we can, that we can share and it's internal proof. Why do I believe? Because I have experienced him. I know by experience because Jesus has come into my life and given me purpose and direction. The life I now have in Christ is not last just one year, five years, or ten years, or twenty years, or a hundred years, but for all eternity. The fact that John wrote this implies you might be a believer. You may have eternal life, and you still might not know for sure that you have it. Now, Everybody here looks pretty confident today and you feel like, okay, these are things that you know perhaps and you're happy on this Lord's Day. But the truth is there are many genuine believers who still have doubts, who are not sure that they're saved. Or maybe you believe in Jesus, but you're not sure that you've done everything necessary to have Jesus in your heart or to have heaven in your home. Or maybe you're wondering, how can I go through so many trials and difficulties and temptations if I were really saved. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I just don't know what God's up to in my life. What if I could tell you today that you could know for sure that you're saved, that you have Jesus who's living in your heart and that you have your home in heaven. Would that be good news? Surely that'd be good news. Well, I certainly cannot see into your heart, but what I can tell you is what God's Word says and we know that we can have assurance not based on feelings and not depend on how good a person you are or how good a day or a year you've had, but based on the fact. The Bible says, He who has the Son has real life and eternal life. John writes this in the text that he wants you to know for sure. Regardless of what's happened in the past, in a few minutes we're going to have a prayer. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper and if you're at home today, we encourage you if you had not already prepared something juice and crackers would be fine to partake with us today. But regardless of what's happened in the past regardless of what you thought in the past you can settle it today that you can know for sure that Christ is in your heart and that you have a home in heaven. So I want you to be ready, not just with our crackers and juice or not just with the things that have been prepared before you today, but I want you to be ready in your heart we're going to give you an opportunity to be able to say, Lord, I want to make sure all things are right between you and I. And if you know that you're a believer today, but you realize you don't want to partake of this in a supper in an unworthy manner, you'll have an opportunity to come confessing before the Lord and committing to Him as well. Most every believer goes through some times of doubting their salvation. So even true believers have some doubts at times. Doubts are not an indicator that you're not saved. Sometimes doubts turned over to Jesus 
result in even more faith and even more assurance and a greater faith. What happens if you continue to live with doubts and lack of assurance? Well, it could stunt your spiritual growth. You may not grow like you should. It may rob you of the joy that you can have following Jesus. And it could cripple your usefulness in God's kingdom. So it may be time to stop wallowing in the doubt and know that the difference that assurance makes. So we're going to talk just a moment. You've got some things there in your notes. What difference does assurance make in your life? Well, you can stop trying to earn salvation and start living for Jesus. You see, when you're trying to earn your own way or you think, I'm going to believe in Jesus, but don't I need to do all of this as well? The focus is always going to be on you. But if you've got assurance of salvation, assurance of Christ in your heart, then the focus is on God. It's on Then you can really start focusing on honoring God and pleasing Him. But also, you can put away the doubts and start growing spiritually. If harboring doubt stunts your growth, then having assurance helps you to grow to be more like Christ. If you're truly still having doubts, well, don't hide it from God. Through prayer, be honest with God. Turn those doubts over to Him. Ask Him to help you to deal with it. And it may be this very passage, it may be this day that He'll help you to put those behind you. Then also, you can have a better incentive. You can have a better incentive. Love and live for Him because He first loved you. It will be the very best reason that you have for serving Christ simply because... He first loved you. I talked with a man not long ago. Had some pretty tough questions and gone through some difficult times. And he had a hard time. He said, I can't believe all the things that the Bible says. He said, there may have been a Jesus. And he may have died on the cross. But I doubt he was really the Savior of the world. And then he said this. And these were his words, something like this. He said, "My, my wife died a few weeks ago. My son died a few years ago. Now she, I'm pretty sure, claimed to be a Christian. If there's ever a Christian, she was it. But I'm not sure my son was. He said, you mean to tell me that my wife would rather go to live in heaven to where maybe my son was not and spend eternity without him? He said, I just can't put my mind around it. I just can't understand it. Well, what do you say? I said, well, I said, I, I don't have all the answers. I said, but I, but I can tell you this. We, first, we don't know what was in your son's heart. I said, but as much as we love our children and our husbands and our wives and family and friends, God loves your wife and your son more than you. I said, God loves you more than you can fathom. And He wants the very best for you in this life and in the life to come. He wants to give you real life regardless of your circumstances. And the life He has to offer is for all eternity. Okay, let's face it. There are some tough questions out there in this life. Sometimes difficult things we we face. But this we can rely on. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Do you have the assurance that you 
are without a doubt a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus. Let's spend these next few moments thanking the Lord and praising His name for that very thing. Pray for those who do not, do not have that same assurance or those who have doubts. Pray for those who need to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And because you have that assurance, may it make you a person of compassion and grace and a person that is more like Jesus. Pray for others to have the same assurance. If the answer is no, I'm not sure. Do you want to spend these next few moments settling the issue of knowing Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, but He is your Savior? Then you can ask Him in. Let's bow together now and prepare our hearts for the partaking of the supper. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we want to give you opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you want to have assurance today. You can pray this prayer with me. I encourage you to do that whether you're here or you're at home. You can just repeat this prayer silently with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to turn my past, present, and future over to you. Forgive me of my sins and my doubts. Thank you for dying on the cross and doing everything necessary so that I might have eternal life. I repent of all my sin. I ask you to come in and to give me new life or to give me assurance today. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Father God, we pray for anybody in this room or is listening today that may have prayed that prayer. Asking for salvation or for assurance today, we pray that it is so. It will make a difference. Not only today, but this week. And following. Knowing that Christ is Lord and Savior of the world. Not hoping, but knowing for sure. And Father, we pray for all of us who are here today who know you as Lord and Savior. We come celebrating, thanking you for what Christ has done. Giving us that gift that was not deserved. Thank you, Father, for defining what love is. May it be the reason that we want to show love to others as well. And now, Father, we want to prepare our hearts for the partaking of the supper. We thank you for the body and the blood that was given for us so that we might have life. We come, Father, confessing our sins even now. We commit ourselves to you this day and following that because of what Christ has done that we realize that we are Christ's representative and that we want to live for you so that others might be able to see Jesus in us. Simply so that we might honor your name because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord, as we continue to proclaim your name here in this place and every day as we live. We lift these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.